Hello, and welcome back to the Winging It podcast, how to build, maintain, and totally own a career that you love. I'm Lucy Hitchcock, and I want all women who want to start a business or have an amazing career to feel fulfilled and happy from their career. I am joined today by my friend. Can I call you my friend? I feel like I can. My friend, a colleague, worked with you before. And branding genius, Charlotte from Medialux. Hello. Hi. I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. I know. I'm so excited. And a bit nervous, but yeah, fine. I feel like I was saying this to you before, but I'm one of those people that, I mean, actually, I usually really plan out the winging episodes, but this series, I've literally been like, no, I don't have time for this. I just come on and I'm like, what are we talking about today? Let's just talk about it and just like go for it. And I guess most of the people as well that I have on, I know, like, you know, we could chat for hours about random stuff anyway. So good. Well, Charlotte, can you please tell us who are you and what do you do? Yeah, sure. So I am the founder of Media Looks and I am a brand consultant and copywriter. So I work with lots of lovely brands on their brand development and their communications. So everything from strategy and tone of voice to actually coming up with copy for packaging content for emails all that kind of wordy stuff and you are amazing at what you do even if I do say so myself thank you (laughs) so the reason I asked Charlotte to come on today is because so some of the people that are coming on this series are people that I've had on before or people that have launched products that you know have maybe inspired me in a certain way or you know helped me kind of in my journey to launch partner and wine And Charlotte is the voice behind the brand of Partner in Wine. So I basically sent Charlotte what I thought would be right. And she just completely took it up a level and just made our packaging and copy and everything just the sassiest of the sass. Yeah, it's definitely got that sassy tone and quite fun. So like a nice brand to work on. I remember also when you first sent me a draft, you were like, I could take it up a notch if you want. I was like, yeah, hun, take it up a notch. (laughs) That's it. I mean, I feel like with Partner in Wine, the product itself is a character. So it was nice to have that like free reign to kind of give it that sassy touch. Yeah, I'm quite good like that. When I work with people, I'm like, look, you're good at what you do. Just do what you think's right. And like people just smash it out of the park. Yeah, no, it was fun. And I think it's got a really like clear and distinct personality. And I think because you've got a strong story for what you wanted partner in mind to be anyway, it just naturally took that more friendly, chatty tone. Yeah, exactly. Very Instagrammable. Before we get into all of that good stuff, I just want to find out a bit more about your career and where you started just that everyone that's listening kind of gets to know you a bit better. So have you always done Media Lux or what did you before that? No, so I've been doing this for nearly four years now. And before that, I spent a few years working in-house for a number of different brands, everything from social media and content planning and content writing to PR and communications. So it was always sort of jewellery and fashion accessories based. And prior to that, I actually 
I had a bit of a dip into my own business about 10 years ago and had a vintage clothing website. So Did you? Yeah, so that was like, I mean, I'd say a dip into business. It was definitely more of a hobby. Like looking back now, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Literally just was winging it. And I think in kind of doing that, it really got me into understanding more about brand and, you know, online space and stuff. So I did that for a little bit and then that kind of just led me then to go in-house, which I absolutely loved. And I was really lucky in the roles that I was in because they were very varied. And like I say, I started sort of in social media and then quickly moved into like the content side of the business that I was working for. And then once I kind of finished with that company, I went to another brand called Johnny Loves Rosie. And I looked after their e-commerce side of the business and it was a really small team. So it was very varied. We'd do things like blogger events and PR and social media, but then there was also like all the content and copy for the website and stuff like that. So it gave me like a really good overview of all the different kind of areas and elements that you need to kind of have for a successful brand. And I just, yeah, just really kind of like... I loved writing and always loved brands. I mean, it sounds such a weird thing to say, but I was always the kind of person that would really enjoy finding something that nobody else had heard of before and being able to tell all my friends like, oh, this is where I got this from or have you seen this kind of thing? And yeah, so it just felt like a really good fit. And then I just decided that actually I really wanted to work for myself and just took a bit of a risk really with media looks and the reason that I mean I say took a bit of a risk it was a big risk because when I was working for Johnny Loves Rosie they relocated and I knew I'd have to find a different job so I took something which I knew wasn't really the right fit for me but I just took it anyway because I was like I need to get a job and there wasn't very many kind of communications roles in the Midlands at the time and I did four days at the company that I'd accepted the job for. And I just yeah. absolutely hated it and knew it wasn't for me. And so I didn't go back in. And on the Monday, I set up Media Lux and that was that. I just had to kind of make it work. So I've definitely just been, I feel like, making it up as I go along. But Welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of feel like that's been really good for me because I've been able to just learn as I go along and you know every year that you have a business you're constantly learning anyway and you know I look back now right at the beginning and think oh god why did I do this like that but it just oh my gosh I know exactly the same but also it's one of those things that obviously without doing x y and z you don't get to the sort of next level of the game do you so yes oh well do you know I actually didn't know that about you so I've learned something new today as well oh well (laughs) yeah that's me in a nutshell (laughs) yes So in terms of, it's really interesting, actually, because I think before we worked together, maybe we followed each other on Instagram for like a couple of years anyway, and just kind of like back and forth. And then I'm one of those people that, do you know, I always think this is really funny because back in the day when people at school used to be like, I've met a friend online, you'd be like, that's really weird. Like that is so weird. And now I literally have like so many friends that I've just met through Instagram, like work and stuff like that, that I've never actually met in real life. And I'm like, I feel like they're like my friend. Yeah, oh no, I'm exactly the same. And I think it's because for me, the people that I kind of connect with through Media Looks Online are in a similar position to me. So they've got their own business or something. You automatically have like that common ground and things that you can kind of chat about that you may not necessarily be able to chat about with your existing group of friends. Yeah. So yeah, no, I actually feel like Sassy Digital was one of the first businesses that I followed when I set up Media Looks. Really? I followed you from like the very beginning. Oh, back in the day 
the sassy era. I feel like when I first started sassy Instagram account, no one was like posting tips and stuff. I was like, woo, we've got a real yeah. niche here. And now like everyone does it. So I'm just like less enthused by doing that. But you know, it is what it is. I like to share knowledge. So that is one of the key factors. So yeah, let's talk about partner in wine. So I'm going to take it back to the very beginning. Yeah. And then we can talk about just more like sort of generalization. But today's episode is on how to find your brand identity. And I think some people think that a brand identity is your logo. And you and I both know that that's just not the case. So your brand identity is not just a logo. It's not just your branding. Your branding is in addition to a logo or a few logos. In addition to this, it is your tone of voice. It's your font, your colors, and how all of that is used collectively to build a certain picture, a certain feeling to customers, to clients that kind of creates that level of desire or trust so that people actually want to come to you for your product that you're selling. Yeah, definitely. So it's interesting because when I first came up with the idea for Partner and Wine, I actually was looking back on my phone yesterday and I'd totally forgotten about this. I was going to launch the bottles with the sassy logo on it. (laughs) And now I look back, I was like, why did I think that that was a good idea? And I don't know, I think it was my dad actually that was like, this is a really good idea. I think you need a separate brand for it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. So the next thing was like, oh, I'll just call it Partner Wine because that's what I call one of my friends. So obviously these things like very fortunately come quite naturally to me. And I already knew the type of feeling that I wanted to create. But in terms of actually getting there, that's just a whole nother ballgame because obviously the visual identity and stuff is something that the people that I work with at Sassy are very, very strong at and good at and they totally get it. The difficulty is, is that I can write for days about someone else's business, but when it's about yourself, you think that you're writing down the information that you think is relevant when actually, because you're so in it, it's not necessarily coming across the way that you want it to. So as soon as I'd written this stuff down, I thought, you know what? I need to ask Charlotte. (laughs) I think the thing is, like you say, when it's your baby, you're so close to it and you nobody can know their brand as well as the person who's behind it you know understand the direction that you want to take and things but actually getting there and cementing that identity whether that is through like the visuals or the tone of voice and the words that you use and stuff that is when it's really good to have somebody else on board to bring it all together and look at what the purpose of the copy is and where you're going to be placing it and really go into the detail of who you're trying to attract and all that type of thing so it actually speaks to the right people. Yeah definitely I totally agree with that and I think everyone always says when you start a business you should keep control of the things that you know that you're good at. I actually personally think there's a caveat to that because when you are so invested in your own business, you're trying to save costs and stuff. I genuinely don't think sometimes that the business is coming across the way that people want it to on social, on your website, within your copy, the imagery, in the same way that you'd outsource a photographer because that is a super skill and yeah. you know, props to photographers. I think I'm okay at taking photos, but photographers just next level sort of thing. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people always, always, always outsource Mm -hmm. for their products is the photography. But I do think there's value in outsourcing things like, you know, web design and copy. If firstly, you don't have the time to do it. And secondly, you think actually, let me enlist the help of someone that knows what they're doing. Yeah. There's like this misconception with copywriters that they'll just produce something really quickly. And it's just a case of just popping some words down on paper 
but there's so much value to it and there's so much that goes into actually putting those words down on paper in the first place you know you have to understand about branding and target audience and all that type of thing to actually create the right copy in the first place so somebody can be a fantastic writer but doesn't necessarily mean that they come from a branding background and will write in the correct sort of way to actually have marketing copy and things yeah do what's really funny is I always say to my clients you should really use a copywriter and it's like a 50 50 split between clients that go oh do you mean like a trademark and I'm like oh sorry I'm like no sorry I mean copy as in words writing they write the words for you that can't quite come to mind. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. I honestly think with anybody that's starting a brand, and I think a lot of people are more visual anyway. So naturally, the visual side of it is almost like the fun part, you know, like going on Pinterest and putting all your ideas together and thinking about the photography and the colors for your branding and logo and everything. And also there's that misconception that that visual side of it is a brand anyway without anything else. And so I do feel like copy is often the last thing that people think about. And then I have quite a few people who will come and they'll be like, right, I'm launching a new website in two weeks, but I need a full website Mm. copy. And it's because it's been an afterthought. I do just think that's because people are more visual and they're drawn to, you know, all the exciting visual side of it first, rather than sometimes actually setting the foundations and thinking about how they want the brand to sound. Yeah, no, definitely. I completely agree. And it is one of those things, I think, that when I start working with people on the website, I go, right, I'm going to need all the copy from you. Yeah. And they go, oh, is that you don't do, is that not what you're doing? I'm like, no, no, that's a separate thing. Yeah. That's a completely separate exercise. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess I better do that then. Yeah. And I think as well, like it is time consuming, especially if you're launching from scratch and you've got to have full website copy, then you've got to have all your product descriptions and you potentially need packaging and stuff as well. And that can feel like quite a daunting task. So it's also something that people do tend to put off because they're not really sure what they should be writing. And it is time consuming. So they think, oh, I'll just crack on with other things that I know I can do quickly first. And yeah, it can just feel like a bit overwhelming if you're not really sure what you actually need. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I teach consultancy clients or clients that come to us for branding is that there's three things that go into a brand identity, and that is the sound, the look, and the feel. Not sure if you agree with me on this, but let's roll with it. So the sound is obviously, you know, the way that you speak to your customers, uh, how you speak about your business and kind of everything in between that. The look is more the visual that could be your branding, your website, your photography, and ultimately both of those contribute to how your brand feels then to the customer so I thought it would be useful in this podcast episode if we went through each of those to help people who are planning to launch a product to start thinking about these different things and how their brand could potentially start to come together from having a think about them yeah so can you talk us through a bit how one goes about deciding upon a tone of voice Actually, firstly, what is a tone of voice? Yeah, so tone of voice essentially is the sound of the brand. So it's the kind of style that you choose to adopt for all your written communications. And it's the tone. So whether you want it to sound friendly and accessible or you want it to be more honest and relatable, it's those kind of attributes that help to cement the identity and then actually communicate with your customer. So essentially like the language that will resonate with 
who you're trying to attract in the first place. So if you're a more millennial focused brand, then your copy will probably be a bit more tongue in cheek and a bit more sassy. Whereas if you're a heritage brand, then the copy and all your tone and stuff is going to be more timeless and probably more refined than say someone like Misguided. Yeah, definitely. This is the trickiest thing that I feel about tone of voice. And I think people often start at this point is that people start a business and go, I need to sound from the offset, like a really big business so that people take me more seriously. Yeah. And I just don't know if I think that that is the case anymore. No, I mean, I definitely like personally feel like I connect with a lot of smaller businesses than I do with bigger brands because I think they spend more time thinking about all these different elements of who they want to speak to. And that's not to say that the bigger, more established brands don't do that, but they have already done that like way back. People buy with them now because they're familiar. Mm. And so it feels like actually the bigger brands can be quite faceless and there's nobody to connect with. Whereas smaller businesses are constantly like striving to reach their target audience. And so there's more thought behind what they're saying. And the copy, for example, is not so generic. And I know like it can be quite easy to when you're writing your copy to be like, we do this and we do that. But actually, if it is just you, that's something to kind of be proud of and talk about. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny because, I mean, I do actually write we quite a lot. And the only reason I do that is because I consider the people that support me and both of my businesses to be part of my team. So, you know, I use a lot of freelancers and I use a lot of, I mean, I have people that work for me directly, but at the same time, I always think that, you know, it's important to let people know that actually, okay, I am doing a majority of this on my own, but actually there is a whole gang of people that have come together to support. So that's one of the reasons that I use we, but I think also with that thought, I think that is also reflected in the messaging as well. Yeah, it's just doing it carefully and thoughtfully and thinking about where you're communicating in the first place. So for me, there's nothing worse than following like a brand on Instagram. And it's very obvious that it's just one person. And then going across to their website and it feels like it should be this really established business and it doesn't, there's no consistency between the two and it just feels really disjointed. And then you're like, well, actually, is it one person or is it a big team? So I do think, yeah, Yeah. you're messaging right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's actually a really interesting point because sometimes we'll go onto someone's website and it will be totally disjointed from their social media. Maybe for that reason, but maybe for a variety of other reasons. Maybe it's that the branding identity, they've been sidetracked by using Canva templates that have different fonts and colors from their business, whereas their website's super on brand, or it could, you know, both of them may be just completely disjointed and they don't look like the same brand at all. But I think tone of voice obviously has something to do with that because, you know, the information that you read on social media versus a website should really be linked up and have a very similar sort of tone to them. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, like the whole thing with branding is it's about the experience and that's what people connect with. So to attract the right people and then actually retain them into, you know, loyal customers and people that support the brand and will shout about you and buy from you they need to have that consistent experience, you know, that everybody goes on a journey. So whether they do find you on Instagram initially, or it might be that products are stocked in a shop, and that's where they've discovered you. And then they'll follow you on Instagram or visit your website, and you want them to have that consistent experience and it to feel really fluid. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an interesting one, because I always think that 
my only regret with partner and wine is that, and this is genuinely is my only regret is that, so obviously the launch was very, I launched it through my own personal social media channels. And then obviously that's how I started to build an audience. And then a few months after summer. So I think September was probably the, I'd say the worst month for us. I mean, it wasn't awful, awful, but you know, in terms of sales dropping off because September is a bit of a funny month again, you know, into October as well, you know, it's cold. People can't really see the use for an insulated bottle. But during those months, I started to talk about partner and wine like it was a huge business. And the reason I kind of lost my way was because I was looking at similar sort of companies and the fact that they are huge businesses. So that's why it feels like that, because they kind of almost need that disconnect so that you're not emailing them asking to speak to the founder because you're, I don't know, you've dropped it and dented it or I don't know, you know, X, Y, and Z has happened and you want to speak to someone about it. It's very sort of disconnected and and it's kind of like that for a reason, you know, whereas the success of Partner in Wine to date has been because it has been so personable. And I was talking about this just now on a podcast to someone is that I reply to every single message on Instagram at whatever time of day it is, obviously, if I'm awake. And I will ask people questions. I will respond to them with a specific response to what they've said rather than just sending a love heart emoji. And I think that's one of the things that makes it quite special is that customers feel like they're being heard. And it's more like it just gives it more of a human element and it is more engaging to know that somebody's actually taken the time to give them a response. Like you said, rather than it's very easy to just put an emoji or, you know, a kiss or something like that and not yeah. really acknowledge that somebody's taken the time to message you in the first place. Yeah, definitely. So what are the key questions people should be asking themselves when they're, you know, if people are struggling a bit with the tone of voice or their sort of brand identity, what are the key questions really that they should be asking themselves when trying to develop that sort of sound? So I would always start by asking yourself what words do and don't describe your brand I think it's very easy to list down the words that you feel like will describe your brand personality and how you want it to look and all that type of thing but the don't words are just as important and it's something I'll always ask my clients is what don't you want the brand to be because that helps to really niche down the brief and help to actually craft the brand direction so yeah really looking at what you do and don't want to have the brand kind of feel like then from there once you kind of feel like you've got a really strong list of do's and don'ts then I'd start looking depending on obviously what your product is looking at words that would describe those products and then thinking well do those fit into how I do want it to sound is there a better word and sort of pulling together a language list, if you like, of words that you would use consistently to actually describe your products. Yeah. It's really interesting that you say that because when we go through the branding process with clients, I always, always say to them, send me websites that you like. Yeah. Even if you don't specifically like that website or or branding, this works for branding as well. Even if there's just one little thing that you like about it and you hate the rest of it, send it over because actually it's so useful to see what people don't want. Yeah. And it's great for business owners to understand what it is that they don't like so they know what they do like. Yeah, exactly. And I think it just really helps to carve out the identity from the get-go. And it's these like foundation exercises that really do help to then cement what the brand will be like, like at the end result. Yeah. And I always chat to clients about, the three C's which is this formula of attributes 
which is character, customer and consistency. So it's thinking about your brand as a personality and how you would describe the traits of that personality. And then once you've kind of got that nailed down, you think about who the customer is and be really clear on who you want to attract in the first place and create, you know, a customer profile so you can understand their needs and wants. And then once you've kind of got those two things, it gives you a really clear picture of who you are and who the people are that you want to essentially just buy your products. You know, your brand will always develop and evolve the longer you're in business, but you want to then be consistent and make sure that, like we said before, it all feels continual and familiar. Yeah, definitely. For me, that's like whether I'm chatting to somebody about brand development or copy, that's something we'll always kind of touch upon. And it's just as relevant for the sound of the brand as it is for the look and the visuals. Yeah, no, it is. That's really nice. I've not even heard of your three C's before. I feel like I've just literally just made it up. So that's what I, I feel like that's what everyone does, though, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good way to kind of remember it. And then you know, every time that you're putting something together, you can kind of just check back and think, right, is that the character of the brand? Is that speaking or going to look right to the right people? And yeah, just a, a good little way of remembering it. Yeah, it is definitely. I guess now we've had to think about the sound. Yeah. Let's have a think about the look. Yeah. I feel like it's gonna be more difficult because you're not asking me questions, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll with it. I'm just gonna roll with this one. So when you start to think about how your brand is gonna look, it's one of those things that I think people instantly either go onto Canva or Pinterest and they see colours and fonts and whatever that they like, but it may not necessarily be relevant to your brand. And going back to what we just said about showing what you do like shows what you don't like. In terms of actually getting your branding designed, a lot of people do start by designing their own. And I'm not just saying this because it's a service that we offer at Sassy Digital, but I genuinely believe that if you want your brand to be timeless and to stick around forever, you need to be working with someone that understands that and that can design something and advise you and take you on that journey to create something that is timeless and that you won't get bored within a year because I can guarantee anything that people make on Canva they will get bored with within a year or it's not going to suit their needs or they dilute their brand because they get carried away with Canva. So the benefit of working with someone in this way to develop your branding is that you not only get your logo, which is obviously what everyone's after, or various logo ways. So we produce kind of various different assets based on whatever the product is, but you can also work with a branding designer to develop your brand guidelines. So work on your colors and your fonts and then work on how that you know, how you can stay consistent. So we lock all of that into a brand guideline. So it's super easy for anyone that you work with in the future to stay consistent, which is one of your key points, Charlotte. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the mistakes that we see people make time and time again is diluting their brand. And if you eventually want to be a huge company that, you know, everyone wants to come to for whatever it is that you're selling, to have something that's recognizable equally now as it is in five years time is so so important and it's funny actually because even with my marketing business I've toyed with rebranding the sassy logo and I was going to do it at the beginning of last year and the guy who developed my branding originally said why are you doing that I was like well I just feel like it's time you know five years he was like do you like the branding I was like yeah and like everyone knows us and he was like well why are you changing it then I was like hmm 
you have a point, my friend. And now I don't mind it at all. And actually what I realized what it came down to was the fact that I wanted to update the website to kind of, you know, run with how I felt the business had developed from how it originally was. So I think as well, it's very easy when you're starting out to, again, think maybe I haven't got the investment for this, but you almost then end up paying twice because you have to change everything and that can be very time consuming. And it's quite easy to get carried away by what you're seeing all the time. So with like choosing your logos and colours and that type of thing, especially like when it comes to colours, you might end up picking stuff that you're just seeing everywhere because it's on trend at the time. And then a year later, that colour's not in trend anymore and actually doesn't suit the brand at all. And that's when you have to rethink. And like you said, you may be looking at stuff that you like, which isn't necessarily what will resonate with the people that are going to come and shop with you. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's funny, actually, because I mean, we're not talking about launching a product now, but with Sassy, the color has always been pink. And actually, you want to know the reason behind this. And I'm sure maybe I've written this before, so you might know. But when I was younger, I painted my bedroom walls a color called Sexy Pink. Really? And that was the color of the pink that I had. It was Sexy Pink. It was like a bright sort of not fluorescent pink but it was a bright pink and so that's what I went with and some clients I speak to I mean not so much anymore because I don't think pink's that on trend anymore whereas like a few years ago everyone had pink branding and clients would call me and go oh I don't want that pink color that everyone has I was like what's wrong with pink yeah what are you trying to say and they're like oh no not you just me like everyone else I was like yeah because like it's not like I coined it but it's one of those things I think I've seen lots of people go to pink and then now they're out of it because it's out of trend which is really funny yeah, definitely. And I mean, to be honest, like even for me with media looks, because I set up so quickly, I just had something thrown together. I didn't think about it at all because my thought process at the time, I mean, this is really like not what I would advise anybody to do, but I just needed a logo and I needed something quickly. So I really didn't put much thought into my branding at that beginning stage. And then once you've been in business a bit, like I said before, things evolve and you have a better understanding of, especially being service-based, like who your clients are and Mm. services you're offering. And yeah, it was only natural then for me to actually like invest in getting somebody to design a logo and look at my brand guidelines because I can be very creative in the visual way where I know what I want something to look like, but actually executing it and doing it myself, I would always have to have somebody else do it for me. Yeah, And yeah, it it is just so important to really spend that time thinking about how you want things to look and whether it's going to have that longevity and, you know, over the duration of the brand growing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because I'm sure I probably, if you showed me your old logo, like that you made first, I'd probably be like, oh yeah, that's funny. But your current logo really sticks in my mind. Like when I think of you, I think of the typography. Yeah. Charlotte Media Lux. That's what you're saved on on as my phone, Charlotte Media Lux. <laughs> You've got a little wine glass emoji after your name. <laughs> Do I? Yes, I've made it. Yeah. So moving on to partner in wine, actually talking about the look. Yeah. I actually was speaking to my graphic designer who works on all of our sassy projects. And she is just incredible because whatever I tell her, she just gets it. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, like we share the same vision, but she can make it happen. And she knows the best way to kind of bring it to life. And I was speaking to her and saying like, you know, I want it to relate to Sassy. And she was like, yeah, yeah, but things have kind of moved on. You know, things need to kind of be, you know, we need to take it to the next level. And so the colors that she came up with, weirdly, I I can't even remember if I instructed this or whether we just kind of discussed it together or what happened there. But we kind of came up with this sort of fun, nude and gold slash orange color theme that it's not really 
related to wine at all but that's kind of the main color theme and you know you'll see that on the website you will see it on social media well you'll see it on our delivery slips and and packaging original packaging but since then it's kind of developed because we had the packaging designed to match everything else until I realized that I couldn't identify the color of the bottles inside the tube Right. At which point all of the tubes change colours to match the colour of the bottle, which is actually kind of better because a bloke doesn't want to get a stainless steel bottle inside a pink tube, does he? <laughs> so in terms of actually developing that look, obviously, although I kind of knew what I wanted it to be, working with our graphic designer to actually bring that to life and say to her, look, I need this packaging. You know, here's some examples of what I want it to look like here's some examples of what I don't want it to look like. So take this packaging. I hate this. I hate that. I hate that. But this is the one part of that that I do like. And very quickly we were, you know, I launched Partner in Wine in kind of a month and a half. So very quickly we were able to come up with something that was very, very on brand, very aesthetically pleasing. And it was at that point that I went, I need Charlotte's help because (laughs) the packaging was like sassy AF. And I was like, I just can't put into words that level of sass. So once we kind of nailed the look, that's when the sound sort of came in for me because I knew what I wanted to say about the product, but it was just a case of making sure that the look and the sound were on the same frequency. Yeah, definitely. And I think you can't have one without the other. They have to complement each other and then the sound and the look both then help to create the feel. So yeah, it's just about making sure that everything feels consistent. And like you said, that way around for you, you kind of have the look first and then the sound kind of comes naturally as a second because you've done that work first. But sometimes that might be the other way around for people like they might have a really clear idea of how they want the brand to sound, but not so much how they want something to look and I think as well because you know there's so many amazing small brands that are popping up all the time and you know most people are on Instagram they're seeing these brands it can be quite easy to look at what everybody else is doing and think oh I should be doing things like this and then you can get a bit lost in like your visual direction then because you see a lot of different things that you like and you're not really sure where you sort of fit in so yeah yeah it's just about getting both of them to feel really fluid and yeah align with each other really nicely and sticking with them and as you say I mean comparison is the killer of branding it really is and I think sometimes we look at someone else's brand and I've had clients like this as well and I some clients I can't even talk out of it I'm like look I know you've seen this brand you cannot have the same fonts as them just because you like the way that their website looks it does not suit what you're doing okay I don't care okay fine all right then (laughs) like from our side where we will consult on these things it's frustrating because you know eventually like actually they will change their mind because it will look too similar to something else and ultimately your brand is there to have like this significant distinctive presence in the marketplace and if it looks like every other brand or Mm. sounds like every other brand it's just going to get completely lost in the noise and you won't have any of those distinctive features to actually help you stand out in the first place. Yeah. And also don't think that that sort of stuff doesn't get past consumers because you can sure as hell bet that if someone's seen a brand that you have taken inspiration from, they will compare you to them. Yeah. And that is not what you want to be doing. You know, as you say, Charlotte, you want to have your own distinctive brand that people go, that's really cool. I want to be like them, you know, be the shepherd, not the sheep. Yeah. 100%. Oh God, I love talking about the topic. Talk about this forever. I know. (laughs) So finally, obviously, these two things come together to create a feel. And for me, this is the most important thing, because 
the feel and how you make your customers feel is what is going to sell. And I think this isn't me being cocky, but I genuinely believe this is why Partner Wine has got to the point that it has after five months because the branding and the wording, I get so many messages going, besides from this is a great idea. It's like packaging on point, branding on point, like laughing, crying emojis at some of the stuff that's on the packaging. You know, we get so many stories that's like people posting pictures of the packaging and the wording on the back going, this is hysterical. And actually, a really great example of this is I always, always think, do you drink oat milk? I don't know. Oh, okay, so there's an oat milk brand called Oatly. Yeah. And whenever I'm making my morning coffee and I have my Oatly out or if I'm making porridge or whatever, while I'm waiting for the kettle to boil or the porridge to cook, I will read the side of the carton, even though I've read it a million times before. Yeah. Because it's interesting to read and it's funny to read and it like brings a smile to my face in the morning. Yeah, that's it. And I think like just going back to the whole like experience thing with a brand, because your customer has constant touch points with the brand, whether that's before they've actually shopped with you or once they have the product. And this is why that packaging is so important and the whole experience when you receive a parcel and things, because it gives that additional experience that is, I guess, it's almost like the lasting impact if they're impressed with, you know, and they've ordered, they've kind of bought into your story and they share your values and everything. And it's that extra step then that just keeps them in tune with everything that you're doing. Yeah, no, definitely. And I talk about this quite a lot in the way of the unboxing experience, right? Yeah. Because if you purchase, and you know, this is just obviously an example, but if you purchased a partner in wine bottle and it didn't have the packaging or the branding or anything behind it, it would just, and you know, I mean, this in the nicest possible way. Actually, I don't think it would look like cheap tack because it's actually a really nice bottle, but it wouldn't have the same like luxurious feel and people wouldn't feel like they had, you know, spent their money well. And I think that's so important, you know, whether you're developing a luxury product or something that's, you know, not a hugely expensive product. I think depending on what you want your customers to feel, the unboxing experience can assist them in feeling like that and bringing those emotions that you want them to feel to life. And it's also about community building and people feeling like they're a part of something because, you know, with social media and everything, the unboxing experience and, you know, getting that first touch points with your brand, you know, they've been on your website, they feel impressed. Now they're trying your products and you want them to feel the same about receiving a product as you do with them about their shopping experience on your website. So to be able to convey those feelings, it really does need to be something quite special. So I always think that this is one of the places that's most important to actually invest in your time for researching and your money if you're going to part with it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that user-generated content when people do actually share is so incredibly valuable. And there's nothing I don't think as valuable as a customer sharing why something's fantastic and they've actually taken the time to do an Instagram story or write a review or something. Like they've actually gone out of their way because they think something's that good that they need to tell people about it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how many followers they have. You don't have to be an influencer to have influence. Exactly. And I think like with Media Looks, my like tagline is building memorable and meaningful brands. And just going back to like, partner in wine and like you said over the last five months why it's been so successful it is because it's got an actual story behind it and everything about it is memorable it you know stands out compared to maybe similar products that may be on the market it's got that very distinctive look the sound of the brand is 
catchy and engaging and so just all these things come together to actually help create that feeling that we were talking about yeah exactly why am I agreeing with you about my own brand I'm like Haha, yeah I know <laughs> but no it is important and I think if anyone could take anything from the success that you know I've had with partner and wine the success obviously Charlotte that you've helped me create mm-hmm. I genuinely think it is that and it's one of the the things that I would really, really attribute to our success. It's not about your product, it's how you talk about it. Yeah, definitely. The thing is, I think if you, like we were saying, like the sound and the look are equally important. And if you just have one of those things, you need the other to reinforce what somebody's kind of connected with in the first place. So yeah. if you've like read something and think, oh my God, this sounds amazing. And then you go to the website and it looks horrendous and just isn't what you were expecting. Then you've lost that customer at that point and mm. vice versa. If you've got these amazing photographs of the product and the branding's all really nice. And then there's no information to actually hook people in and, you know, kind of, again, reinforce what they've seen. Again, you've just lost them. So the both of them are just so valuable together. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely are. I think that's also one of the other points is about sort of listening to your customers and listening to what they're saying about it and kind of rolling with it and developing things from there. Yeah. Yes. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I feel like, firstly, love this topic. You know, we do. (laughs) And also, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for so long because I know that you are so extremely good at what you do. So thank you for sharing your knowledge and taking the time to talk to us today. You're welcome. I've loved it. Where can people find you? Uh, So you can find me on Instagram at Medialux and then an underscore. You can find everything to do with Medialux and what I do and my services at www.medialux.uk. You can also find my blog there. And yeah, that's pretty much like how I kind of connect with people. I keep it quite simple. (laughs) That's good. Simple is good sometimes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. And yeah if anyone has any feedback or would like to leave a lovely review after listening to this episode then please go and do that you can find me at lucy hitchcock underscore oh my gosh that this is always the awkward part where i'm like i've got four instagram handles you can find us at partner and wine uk if you want to follow more of our story on there and for more podcast news at the winging it podcast i'm not going to say the sassy digital no i am going to say it now i've mentioned it at sassy digital follow them all <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found value in that, whether you are looking to launch a product yourself or you're just interested in the process. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and please, please, please leave a review if you enjoyed this episode or you are enjoying the series. It really does mean a lot to have your feedback and to know that you guys are listening and involved. So yeah, please do go and subscribe and I'll be back next week with another episode.